Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Hello, and welcome to The Definitive Rap. I am Bela Sebrow. Thank you to Five Towns Central for hosting and sponsoring this show. The White House's unveiling of the U.S. national strategy to counter terrorism caused a hullabaloo due to its timing. It was released right before the Jewish holiday Shavuos and also Memorial Day weekend. This 60-page document ignored and downplayed problems. We will be discussing this and other issues about political anti-Semitism with our esteemed guest, award-winning journalist Jonathan Tobin, who is editor-in-chief of JNS, a senior contributor for The Federalist, and a columnist for The New York Post, Newsweek, and Haaretz, and also host of the podcast Top Story. Jonathan, welcome to The Definitive Wrap. Thank you, Bailey. It's great to be back with you. Jonathan, would you say that the release of the U.S. National Strategy to Counterterrorism document was a public relations move? Well, it certainly was very political, and it was handled very deftly by a White House who was normally terrible at uh, public relations and is often outmaneuvered and uh, very weak. But they know how to play the Jews. That's something they know how to do. Um, and the Jews are willing accomplices, at least the organized Jewish world is willing accomplices uh, in, in that process. Now, as you noted, it was um, sort of the, the super Jewish D.C. news dump. I mean, that's for, for those of us in the news business. When uh, the government wants to bury a story, they will release it Friday afternoon, just at the point where everybody's going out of town, everybody's stopping to look at the news for a couple of days. That's the best way to bury it. This was a double whammy because they dumped it. triple, actually. We had Memorial Day weekend and Shavuos. Exactly. Well, that was my idea of double because for two, it was just on the eve of uh, the Jewish world was shutting down for two days and the rest of the world shutting down for two days after that. So it it was ideal and it, it enabled the uh, basically for government, you know, administration shills to dominate the conversation briefly, and then everybody just forgot about it. Um, But there was another layer to it is that for weeks, there had been rumors out of the administration that the the anti-Semitism strategy paper would not be solely based on the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition which is the sort of gold standard. It's the one that is the most comprehensive. It's the one that's accepted by most of the world. and um, But it's opposed by the hard left, uh, including factions of the Democratic Party, um, because it includes in its definition the demonization of Israel, comparing Israel to the Nazis, denying the right of the Jews to self-determination, treating Jews differently than everybody else, which is exactly what anti-Zionism is and why it's anti-Semitism. Right. Um, so, and there were good reasons to fear that the IHRA uh, definition would be trashed, um, and that created a whole hullabaloo in the days before. But then, when they released the document, or at least when they teased the release of it, they said, "Look, we have the IH IHRA definition. It's the main thing in this. You're going to love this." 
And all the entire organized Jewish world, the ADL, the AGC, everybody, even some people who really ought to know better on the center right, um, said, Ooh, what a relief. That's wonderful. God bless you, Joe Biden. You're so wonderful. Um, And that, you know, that, you know, there's nothing, you know, anybody who follows elections and politics knows the best way to sort of spin something is to have very low expectations. And they had depressed expectations very low to a very low extent. Uh, They exceeded those low expectations. Everybody was willing to say, yay, it's a victory. But in fact, it wasn't a victory because buried in this 60 pages of mostly boilerplate and, you know, a lot of anodyne stuff, you know, stuff that, you know, no reasonable person really opposes, even though most of it is utterly meaningless, was the fact that they welcomed another definition, the Nexus document, which is, you know, the quote unquote definition of anti-Semitism cooked up by the left, which eliminates any mention of Israel. You know, which basically in, is it was created to enable anti-Zionism and left-wing anti-Semitism. So they welcome it. They also consulted CARE, the Council of American Islamic Relations, more about them maybe a little later, which is, you know, the um, Islamic Muslim group founded in this country as a political front for Hamas. They are a font of anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. Um, they had, should have had no part in this. Um and, you know, so so it was illegitimate. In fact, those things cancel out the things. You know, we were told by some of the uh, the mainstream groups, well, it may not be perfect, but it's really good. So don't, you know, don't, don't, don't focus on, you know, don't quibble. But in fact, those small details, you know, that actually canceled out the good parts. You know, it, that's, it was, it, you know, it was really wrong to say that it's quibbling that actually, you know, that's the fine print that cancels out the big agreement when you buy a car or do anything else. That's what, that's what this document does. There was, however, you know, and this is something I focused on in, in my column on it, that is actually far more fundamental to this. This administration, you know, if you were to, you know, if you're asking me what's the most significant thing Joe Biden has done in his two and a half years in office. And he's done a lot of significant things, most of them really terrible, you know, that disastrous route, dishonorable route in Afghanistan, you know, chasing after Iran for two years, um, terrible stuff. Cratering the economy, not not a good thing. You know, those are all bad things. We could go on, we could list more. But in my opinion, the most significant thing Joe Biden has done was the thing he did on his first day, and he's followed up significantly in, at various points since then, which is to implement the woke catechism of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and mandate it as the governing philosophy of this government. Every government agency and department must have its own DEI plan, its own DEI woke commissar to enforce it, uh, operating under the uh, aegis of the chief commissar in the White House, which until now has been Susan Rice. Um, DEI, you know, for some people who don't understand the issue, sounds anodyne. It is anything but. Equity is the opposite of equality. It demands equality of outcomes, which is to say quotas. It is rooted in critical race theory and intersectionality, which divides us all into two groups of oppressors and oppressed, victims and victimizers, and makes those groups immutable. 
this is a per this is a formula for a permanent race war in this country, which is why it's making things so terrible. It has infiltrated every aspect of American life, um, corporations, schools, all of academia, the arts. All the arts organizations now have their own woke com DEI commissars um, to you know, to force policies and and. You know everything else, hiring, casting, whatever you whatever you call it. Now the government does this as well. DEI is an enabler of anti-Semitism because Jews, in that critical race theory formulation, are not victims. They are the victimizers. They are guilty of white privilege in the yeah. view of intersectionality, that's, which that's analogizes the that's the narrative in the world. Exactly, which analogizes. Um, the Palestinian war on the only Jewish state on the planet to the struggle for civil rights in this country. And, you know, it, wherever it raises its head, it enables anti-Semitism, as studies have shown. Where the DEI personnel, they're the people who promote anti-Semitism on college campuses around the country. It's It's been proven. It's, and it, yes. you, can, you don't even have to read studies. You know, it, it's it's obvious. So this is an administration that is all in on DEI, which enables anti-Semitism. And you're going to trust them to work against anti-Semitism. It actually doesn't matter what definition of anti-Semitism they use. And they actually, you know, they mess that up despite what the organized, you know, the big org organizations are telling you. So this is not a good thing. This is not an advance against anti-Semitism. This is an information operation. So nobody in the Jewish world should be taking this seriously. Um, th there's so many levels to it, you know, of the deception of it. Its leading spokesman is our second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, who is Vice President Kamala, Kamala Harris's husband, a person, you know, I'm, I'm not saying against anything against him personally, but he is someone who only woke up and remembered that he was Jewish when it was serving his wife's uh, political interests when she was running for vice president. He's, yeah. you know, he's, he's complete. He's, he had never visited Israel. He didn't care anything. He raised his children as non-Jews. If, you know, Jewish organizations, you know, groups like JTA, they were dying to make the Emhoff children like stars. And they, you know, they were blown off by these kids because they said, we're not Jewish. Mm -hmm. This is your spokesman for the anti-Semitism strategy. So it's all, it, it's, it's basically baloney. It's an information operation. Yes. And the fact that so many organizations that uh, really are looked to as our defenders, as, uh, you know, as, as groups that represent the American Jews uh, and their and their interests uh, were willing to buy into this just shows what shills, how weak, how eager they are to to kiss up to power Um and how much in bed they are with the Democratic Party, because, yeah. you know, the other point that I, I should have also earlier pointed out, the only concrete examples of anti-Semitism listed in this um, in this document are those on the far right, which are real. Right. But they don't risk anything. Islamist anti-Semitism, which is on the rise. They don't talk about uh, anti-Zionism and the actions of Biden's allies, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, the, the congressional squad, who just a couple of weeks before the White House hosted the anti-Semitism conference, so these are two rabid anti-Semites, BDS supporters, 
Um, there were guests at the White House singled out for compliments by Biden. Yes. So you cannot possibly take this seriously. Or you can, but if you do, you're doing it for political reasons. Yes. Uh, Jonathan, what do you think about the Zoom programs for Jewish students and those seeking uh, Israel's destruction? Do you think it's an interfaith dialogue, uh, you know, a Jewish-Arab dialogue, or is it, in fact, being used to promote a false narrative? Well, you're referring to something I wrote about uh, last week, which is a program that uh, received a glowing, fawning um, uh, 2,000-word, can you believe it, article in in JTA about um, author Peter Beinart's son. Now, let me state up front, um, Beinart and I are not really close. We disagree (laughs) on a lot of things. Um, We've disagreed in print. Um, I actually debated him once in person, Kind of a funny story. Back when he was claiming to be a liberal Zionist, um, he eventually dropped that guise because you know the people of Israel didn't listen to his his advice about making suicidal concessions, and now he's an anti-Zionist. He's opposed to the existence of the Jewish state. He wants to scrap it, something that could only happen via genocide, even though he claims not. Um, and he's uh, you know he is he's a familiar name. He writes for the New York Times. He's on CNN. Um, you know, he's a big deal, bigger deal than us, maybe. He has he has a son who goes to a Jewish prominent Jewish day school in New York. Yeah. And um he has he created this program. He he is himself another pro-BDS anti-Israel activist, pro-Palestinian activist, a Jewish pro-Palestinian activist, which is not against the law, it's a free country. Um, and uh he has created this Zoom program where he recruits kids around the country to join this these Zoom sessions with Palestinian propagandists, not the least of which was Rashida Tlaib, the famous congressional anti-Semite. And uh, he was lauded for this, um, you know, uh, in JTA, which was, you know, kind of a crazy article, but, you know, um, that's what they think is is Jewish activism. That isn't dialogue. You know, there's a lot of trouble. You know, we have a lot of there's a longstanding argument in the Jewish world about what constitutes Jew interfaith dialogue. Jews, because we are a minority, we're always looking for allies. And that's reasonable. So we're big on interfaith, on interfaith dialogue, looking for common ground with other people. But when it comes to our enemies on the left and the Palestinians, you know, the version of dialogue, it's like. You know, it's like an NPR, art, you know, article about, you know, is, you know, a broadcast segment about Israel. There's there's a Palestinian complaining about Israel and then there's an Israeli complaining right. about Israel. So, you know, his dialogue with Kalib is Kalib, you know, denouncing Israel and, you know, agreeing with him. And the, the conceit of this program is that um, what the things that Jewish students really need is more more instruction in the Nakba narrative about how Israel's, you know, Israel was born in sin and uh, committed a great crime against the Palestinians. Now, of course, this is nonsense. Anybody who knows anything about Jewish education in this country knows that most Jewish kids get no Jewish education at all. Those that get some get almost, you know, those who go to limited, supplementary schools yeah. get very little about Zionism in Israel, just just a smattering. Those even who go to day school, which have, you know, and I'm, I've always been a great supporter of day schools. Don't interpret this as a slam at day schools. They have a huge job. They have to give their kids a regular secular education. They have to give them a religious education, yes. you know, um, 
to, to be educated Jews, whether they're Orthodox or, or, or non-Orthodox. So that, you know, that fills up a, a plus day. They have much longer days than, than the re- than regular you know, public schools that are secular. And uh, they don't, even those day schools don't give a lot of, you know, that is not a major focus of Jewish, even of the best Jewish education in this country, um, Jewish Zionist education. So to say that what we, what these kids need is more instruction in sort of anti-Semitism is nuts, you know, it, it needs propaganda. And now I have to say, after the piece I wrote, um, a wonderful, uh, wonderful scholar who, who uh, David Bernstein, who, who's a law school, whose person I interviewed on my podcast, who wrote a great book about racial quotas, you know, he, who actually has a child um, who is just applying for colleges. And he, he came up with a different spin on this, which I have to, I have to mention, I, you know, at some point, if I return to the story, I'll have to, to get, he said, everything you said was true. But what you also don't see is that this was for the, for the kids college application. Now, of course, everybody knows that if if you know if you want to get into an elite school, you don't put down your Zionist affiliations. You know that is that does not you know increase your social activism no. score. It hurts it. Yes. But this kid is enabling himself. You know this is this is uh, another step on the way to Harvard uh, by uh, partnering with Rashida Tlaib. And I thought, wow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's probably right. Yeah, Jonathan, though. Um... We should not be shocked anymore, but somehow um, what happened in Berlin at the Mercedes-Benz Arena at the performance by Roger Waters crossed the lines that are shocking. The former Pink Floyd guitarist has for a long time made it known that he's anti-Semitic with his remarks about Israel, but that he was allowed to do what he did on stage is beyond the pale. Can you tell us about that, please? Well, yeah, Roger Waters um, is a flamboyant opponent of Israel and the Jews. He is an open anti-Semite. You know, he doesn't make much, you know, he claims not to be anti-Semitic. He's just anti-Zionist, just anti-Israel. But in fact, his act, which includes, you know, projections of pigs with Jewish stars, you know, it's it's all designed to be offensive and to demonize Israel and the Jews you know, and the the wall and and the, the whole deal. Um, for people who like what I guess is called classic rock, I'm actually a more classical music person, so I'm not a Roger Waters and Pink Floyd expert. Um, but you know, this people still go to see him because his his group was you know very famous, and people still like it. And he has a lot of cachet on the political left because he's a BDS activist. Now he did a show in Berlin, of all places, where he really pulled out at all the stops. And in addition to all of his normal provocations and his attacks on Israel, he dressed up in like a an SS style uniform yeah. and fired a gun. Yeah. Now his defense is that it's it's just satire that he's really oh, he's an anti-fascist, you know, yeah. kind of like uh, Antifa. But um, now you say. Should he be allowed? Now, actually, under German law, um, you could argue that he couldn't should not be allowed because mm-hmm. they, you know, make it illegal in Germany to yeah. do anything that's Nazi or redolent of Nazis. You know, in this country, you know, it's free speech. You know, you can do anything. You can burn a flag. You can, yeah. you know, and yeah. and that is, you know, we we don't want to live in a country where where speech is suppressed. And in fact, you know, one of the things that is so worrisome is the way big tech and, you know, sort of uh, Merrick Garland and our big government is looking to censor us uh, with their disinformation and claiming, you know, the whole COVID routine. But 
in Germany, it was illegal and he is being investigated. Um, but it was a particularly, you know, in, you know, in Berlin, it's, it's, you know, you, 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 every block you trip over a Holocaust memorial because the Germans have been, you know, very eager to apologize um, yeah. and to remake their image in the world. And you can, we, we could discuss that and the value of that. Um, but that's another issue. But to do that in Berlin is, you know, it, it's particularly egregious. And yeah, the show, I mean, one of the, I think, unfortunate aspects of this is that, you know, to some people on the traditional left and to sort of the anti-establishment populist and even some, you know, who in a lot of the lines in the realignment, um, you know, have been crossed, um, especially after COVID and people being, you know, no, not willing to accept uh, the lies from the government mm-hmm. and sort of supporting people who push back against them. So one of the most unfortunate um, sidebars to this Roger Waters story, and we're, we're used to Roger Waters as an anti-Semite. There's nothing new there. But Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who um, son of the of Robert Kennedy, uh, the late Robert Kennedy, nephew of President John Kennedy, and the only declared of any you know of any you know consequence Democratic candidate running against Joe Biden in the 2024 race. He tweeted his support for Roger Waters um, about, you know, don't let them censor you, you know, and that's, you know, which shows that RFK Jr. as much as, you know, some some people on the right or the the center populists, you know, like him now because he was a COVID, he was skeptical of, you know, lockdowns and a lot of the, the COVID misinformation that we were, we were fed for three years. Um, and, you know, listen, blind squirrels and, you know, they, they, you know, they occasionally find an acorn cl- broken clocks are right twice a day. <laughs> um, but it showed this, he's also an environmental extremist. He's a hardcore leftist in many other ways. So, uh, that really showed that sometimes these lines between the old left and anti-Israel, you know, it's ironic, you know, RFK Jr.'s father was murdered by a Palestinian terrorist, yes. um, Sirhan Sirhan. So, um, you know, it, it you know, there, there was no good way to, you know, that, that's a very discouraging story in so many ways yeah. that, you know, flamboyant anti-Semitism still exists. Um, it's cheered, you know, that there was there was a packed audience for his oh, shows. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's also, you know, so it's and, and for someone like RFK and then he deleted his tweet and then he apologized you know, for the tweet, and then he deleted the apology, you know, I don't, yeah. who knows what he thinks now, but um, that, that, that was a bad show. All it was, around. it's a bad, it's certainly a very sad state of affairs. Uh, Jonathan, what do you think about Palestinian Authority Chief uh, Mahmoud Abbas calling himself a Canaanite? Well, you know, the Palestinians can never quite figure out who they are, <laughs> you know, their, uh, their history is, um, you know, you know, this is not the first time Palestinians have played this game. Yasser Arafat claimed, you know, Jesus is about was a Palestinian. You know, the Jews of the Bible were Palestinians. You know, everybody's a Jew except the Jews, yeah, which is well. the traditional anti-Semitic delegitimization of the actual Jewish people. Um, this again, this is nothing new because he denies. You know, remember Abbas is the moderate. You know, he's not Hamas, he's not Palestinian Islamic right. Jihad. He's the peace partner that, you know, the Jewish left has been, you know, trying to make peace with to no avail because he's actually not interested in peace. And, um, you know, he denies that there was a, 
you know, Beit HaMikdash denies that there was a temple in Jerusalem. Those stones there are just our imagination. You know, yeah. it's sort of like yeah, the, ancient yeah, Jerusalem. Yeah. Just a figment of our imagination. It's not you know, real. Yeah. Archaeology is a political is- issue in Israel because the moment you, you know, you dig a couple of inches under the ground, you're finding proof of of the Jewish past. And that's a problem for, for Palestinian Arabs because they're all about denying Jewish history. Yeah. Um, it's a more important issue than sometimes we, we give it credit for because um, they're always about, you know, th- this big lie that the Jews are colonizers, imperialists, and have no business in the land of Israel. And, um, you know, it relates to what we were talking about before about DEI and, right. um, intersectionality in which the Palestinians claim to be the indigenous people of of the land of Israel. But the truth is, they're the interlopers. Jews are the indigenous people of the land of Israel. And archaeology and history proves it. And that's why they have to deny, you know, we, we hear a lot about deniers. Palestinians, even moderate Palestinians, are forced because their their national identity is so inextricably tied with their 100-year-old war on Zionism, that they have to deny Jewish history. They have to pretend it doesn't exist because once they accept it, then they are are forced to say, well, you know, we have to share this country with the Jews. Well, that's that's really- They don't want to. That has always been their position. So any anything, anyone who denies anything having to do with Jews, whether it's good or bad, is in essence saying, well- if it never happened, therefore it, it it's not there. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, this is this is classic anti-Semitism. Let's let's be you know classic Jew hatred, um, because it's denying to the Jews their own identity. Yeah. Um, in a way, you know, who would deny to any other ethnic minority religious group the right to define themselves? The Jews are the only people who are not allowed to define themselves. They're not allowed to have their own place in the world, their own homeland. And everyone thinks that's perfectly okay. Everyone you know? denies, and that's what, you yeah. know, anti-Zionism. If it, was, if it was anyone else, if it was a different group, different ethnic group, then the world would be screaming bloody murder. Exactly. Anti-Zionism yeah. is about denying to Jews that which you would never think of denying to anyone else. That's right. That is why it is a form of discrimination. Of and as the lawyers would say, the term of art for discrimination against Jews is anti-Semitism, and that's why anti-Zionism equals anti-Semitism, period. Right. One one last question. Um, we're running out of time. Uh, you wrote in Newsweek that we should ban TikTok because it's a national security issue. And I must say that TikTok, some of those videos that I, that I have watched, and I, I do watch, sometimes I say to myself, did I really see that? Can I unsee that? <laughs> well, you know, TikTok, you know, is a medium, you know, it's like social media, it's like television, it's like anything else. It's it's just, you know, I, I, I'm not, de- I don't want to demonize the internet. You know, it, it's just a thing. It is whatever we put into it. And um, listen, 150 million Americans look at TikTok. They have a lot of users. That's, you know, they have, that's right. a lot of power. More so people what than- is it? A, what is it about TikTok that what makes it stand out as opposed, you know, Facebook and Twitter, Twitter's a sewer. Just trust me, read my feed every morning. Um, they're terrible too. But the bad thing about TikTok is that it is owned by a company that is controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, a hostile 
totalitarian genocidal power that is an enemy, a geostrategic enemy of the United States of America. And thank you for and, bringing that, that to, the, to the attention of our, of our viewers, of our, to our audience. People don't realize that. They don't oh, yeah. realize. We, we are in the second Cold War, whether you want to acknowledge TikTok, it or not. Uh, uh, TikTok. Uh, oh, you have Jews and non-Jews, and everyone thinks it's okay to post on TikTok. It's fun. Well, of course it's fun. It's like anything else. And people put silly videos and funny videos and companies use it. It's used for all sorts. It's used for terrible reasons. It's used for good reasons. That's not the point. If if the, the debate about TikTok is that it's a waste of time and it's mind numbing and, you know, it's a bad influence on people, then it would be a First Amendment issue in that case that right. you know, we would never ban. There would be no case for banning TikTok. It, you know, what TikTok does, it's data mining. It is taking the personal information of hundreds, tens, hundreds of millions of Americans, and it is giving them, despite whatever they might say, their, their CEO who sits in Singapore, a Chinese, ethnic Chinese person who, who lives in Singapore, who is in bed with the Chinese Communist Party, you know, it's data mining this country. That cannot be allowed. There is no First Amendment right to spy on American citizens for a hostile power. Anybody who makes anybody who claims that the Chinese Communist Party has a right to do that. Now, they may be able to do it. And certainly, you know, Facebook and Twitter data mines do. And that's bad. You know, I, I'd like to address that, too. But TikTok's the priority because it's owned by an enemy power. Yeah. And there's no way around that. There's no way to, to gloss realize, that over. People do not realize that. No, they don't. And um, well, you know, the Chinese have a wonderful um, lobbying operation in this country. They um, they operate. You know, if we we could spend many segments about what you know what China does, both here and at home. That is terrible. But you know, the bottom line with TikTok, it's owned by America's enemy. People, you know, a, a government that means us ill. And, you know, is antithetical to our values. People, you know, people talk about defending democracy and they want to go to war in Ukraine. That's a separate debate. The Chinese, there's no debate about what their goals are. Right. And um, that's why, I, you know, I wrote what I wrote, you know, in, in Newsweek about that. Um, and on, honest, you know, honestly, that is one of the few issues on which Republicans and Democrats agree. Um, now, whether they will get their act together and get out of their own way and, and do something to implement a ban on TikTok and force its sale, um, that remains to be seen. Washington is Washington. But if there's anything, you know, if there's not much reason for hope, you know, and optimism. I'm, I'm, you know, if you've come to optimism and happiness, you've come to the wrong shop if you've come to me. <laughs> but the fact is, I think growing numbers of Americans understand that China is an enemy and that we are in the beginning of a new, uh, you know, second Cold War with them. And um, there, we can debate about how best to to contest that Cold War. And there is a lot of debate. And I have opinions about it. But that's not the issue here. China is an enemy. TikTok is there. You know, it's it's the, the camel's nose under the tent. It's more than that. It's the camel, camel inside the tent. We have to get it out of the tent. Mm -hmm. And um, to not do that is irrational. To claim that it's a First Amendment issue is just obfus obfuscation. It's, it's not honest. The issue of anti-Semitism is not only getting worse, but anti-Semites are getting more risque. We just saw that at the horrifying commencement speech at CUNY Law. There is so much that still needs to be done, and you, Jonathan, 
are doing that on an international level. You are calling it out by bringing awareness and calling those responsible to task. Jonathan, thank you for joining us. And thank you to our audience for tuning in. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Seabrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.